Ignite your life with passion and purpose. Your health, your wealth, your happiness. Make it good. This is Modern Love with Dr. Brenda Wade. A big thank you to Rainbow Grocery, our favorite grocery store here in the San Francisco Bay Area, for being our sponsor, because a healthy body is a sexy body. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our radio podcast, Modern Love. I'm your modern love doctor, Dr. Brenda Wade, and so happy to be with you to talk about a very, very difficult very misunderstood topic. So let me ask you a couple of questions and see if you can figure out what tonight's topic really is. Of course, you probably read the posting so you know, but here we go. Do you ever wake up in the morning feeling really fatigued, like you just don't want to get out of bed? And that goes on for a period of time. Someone says good morning to you and you go, what's good about it? or you snap at them in some way, or you just don't even have the energy to snap. Or maybe you find yourself losing interest in your favorite foods, your favorite activities. You've got no libido, no amount of foreplay is going to turn you on. You're just lost interest. Or maybe you notice your short-term memory is getting really lousy. You're starting to think, my God, could I have Alzheimer's at age 30? These are some of the symptoms of depression. One of the most misunderstood conditions in the country, and yes, I have to say the world. Just so you know, if you look at the global picture of people suffering from depression, the website Stronger Together says there are 350 million people around the world suffering from depression. And that makes sense to me given all the poverty, the wars, the starvation, the trauma, the losses that people suffer around the world. So you look at a country like the United States and go, well, wait a minute. How could we have 16 million people right here in the United States suffering from depression because we're one of the wealthiest countries in the world? There's no war happening here on our shores. How could that happen? Well, let's dig right in. And if you have a question or a comment, we'll take it. You can call us at 347 989 and we'll talk. Or you can send your question or comment to Facebook, Dr. Brenda Wade, Twitter, Dr. Brenda Wade, and we'll take questions and comments. Love to hear from you. So let's dig in. What is depression? 
I named some of the symptoms of depression just a moment ago. Irritability, fatigue, short-term memory loss, loss of interest in things that normally would give you pleasure. It's called anhedonia. We have a list of eight things that constitute symptoms of depression. And if you have more than five of those things on a consistent basis, even four, we need to look at doing something about it. Now, most people think, oh, my God, I don't want to be on medication. No, we don't necessarily mean medication. There's plenty you can do to help yourself. So when you understand depression better, you have an easier time doing something about it. Now, many people will say to me, I've, I've heard this over and over. I spoke with a gentleman not too long ago came to one of our classes on love, and he said, you know, I think I've always been depressed. I think I was born depressed. I don't ever remember a time when I felt happy. And when we dug into it, his story was that actually he had a mom who was very depressed, who had been raised by a mother who was very depressed, and her mother, this mom, so I'm talking now about, I'm going to call him Jim, Jim's grandmother, was a Holocaust survivor. She had lost most of her family, 103 people to be exact, in the concentration camps where they were all murdered. So we have this profound loss and trauma. Grandma, of course, is traumatized and depressed. She grows up, she escapes, she grows as a girl, she escapes, she has children, but she brings her depression into her marriage and raises her children in such a way. Now, here's a key, that their emotional needs aren't met. And, of course, when your emotional needs aren't met, you don't get all the juice and all the energy that you need because when emotional needs are met, what are we giving one another? What are we giving to children or your spouse or your partner or your beloved boyfriend or girlfriend? What are we giving? We are giving energy. And when we don't get the energy we need, the attention we need, because attention is energy, then we don't have what we need to live full, healthy lives. So a part of the nervous system is not getting stimulated. So most of you know all the stories about the babies after World War II who were warehoused in these big orphanages. There were so many babies, and the babies were put in little cribs, and there would be like, you know, 50 to 100 babies in one room, and the caretakers would come through with a little cart with bottles and stick the bottles in the babies' mouths, and then they would keep going because there were so many babies, and they would come back through once a day maybe and change the diapers. And so the babies just weren't getting attention. And then they noticed the babies stopped growing, that the babies stopped responding. And they went, oh, my God, what's happening to these babies? But then there was another group of babies who seemed to be doing fine. And they thought, well, what's the difference? Well, they found out 
the babies that stopped growing were suffering what we call anaclytic depression, depression from lack of attention and energy and touch. And the other babies actually were close to a wing of people who are suffering from profound emotional and mental illness, but they were going and playing with the babies and holding them and talking to them. So the babies were growing and doing much better than those who didn't get talked to, didn't get held. So my point is there's a very deep need within all of us for this kind of loving energy, this kind of touch, this talking, this attention. And when we don't get it, something in us starts to be pressed down. Our energy is pressed down. That's how I define depression, energy pressed down. Now, it can come from a number of different sources. It could be like Jim. He had a depressed mom who couldn't meet his needs. So, of course, he felt since he was an infant, depressed. But maybe you know somebody like May. May was a woman who seemed to have it all. Beautiful, married to a guy she really loved, They were doing very, very well financially. They had three children that May doted on. The children were doing great. And then May's husband ran into severe financial difficulty. He lost his position, which was a very big, well-paid position. They started living off their savings and their stocks and their this and their that. And it got so bad because he was so depressed and anxious and started drinking and couldn't go out and look for a job. It got so bad that they had to sell their home. And May was holding the family together and doing really well, and then all of a sudden, it was like overnight, a switch was flipped inside May, and she just couldn't hold it together anymore. And she completely fell apart, and she ended up in the hospital after attempting suicide. So when we talk about depression, my point is, sometimes the triggers are in utero, sometimes they're at birth, sometimes they're right after birth. I've worked with many people over the years who are adopted at birth who still had birth trauma. We have this idea that somehow infants aren't aware of what's going on around them or not aware of what's happening in utero. Well, surprise, at five months in utero, babies have very good hearing. So the nervous system is being coded by what they can hear, being coded for the hormones going through their mother's body into their little unborn bodies. So there's a lot going on that can lead to depression. It can be a change in your financial status. It can be During birth, at birth trauma, it can be something happening at school, like being bullied. This is so common today. Or it can be witnessing trauma. We have an entire syndrome known as survivor witness trauma. And when we're able to have Brian Copeland speak with us, he was not able to be with us tonight. We had hoped he would be. But when he is able to be our guest, he'll talk about survivor witness trauma, which is seeing trauma, especially if it happens to somebody you love and care for, 
and not being able to do anything about it. And some of the research is showing that survivor witness trauma is harder to deal with even than being the victim because there's that sense of helplessness, hopelessness, impotence. I can't change it. I can't save that person. I can't do something. So as we're talking about depression, are you noticing that there can be many triggers? Why? Because all of those triggers contribute to the one thing that can lead to depression. And that is a change in your brain. It can be physical, mental, emotional, or even spiritual trauma or incident. It can be financial. It can be a relationship that goes bad that can lead to depression because any of those things trigger a change in your brain. And once the brain begins to experience very high levels of stress hormones, cortisol, then the brain, which is designed to have a burst of cortisol, go out and solve the problem, kill the lion that might be threatening you, or run from the lion that might be threatening you, whatever it is, the brain is designed for those bursts of cortisol. But if the cortisol goes on for a length of time, or there's a very severe trauma where there's emotional pain paired with, we as human beings are delicate beings. We're not machines. We can't sustain those kinds of changes and losses. And so the brain stops producing the neurotransmitters that make us feel good. Serotonin, dopamine, these levels begin to go down. When they go down, there's a cascade. If you're a woman, as your serotonin goes down, so does your estrogen. As your estrogen goes down, so does your serotonin. I have a friend who had a poster up in her office, and the poster showed a cat, a black cat, with its fur sticking out all over its head as if it had stuck its finger in an electric socket, and the cat's eyes were spinning, and there was blood dripping off the cat's fangs, and it had a smoking gun in its hand, and at the bottom it said, I'm out of estrogen. Any questions? I thought, oh, my God, yes. When estrogen goes down, known fact, it can lead to premenstrual dysthymia, which is a form of depression. It can lead to, if it's somebody who's menopausal, as this lady was, then it leads to another form of depression. And depression isn't always, well, I'm going to lie down and, you know, be tired and go to bed. Depression is often marked by hyper irritability, being very, very angry and very, very irritable. And that's especially true if you're a woman of color. So we have our first question. Thank you. This is coming in from Joe. And Joe, I don't know if you're a man or woman, it just says J-O. So Joe's question is, I think you're talking about me. When I get up in the morning, I always feel exhausted. Am I depressed? Well, Joe, that is one of the symptoms of depression. And before we go any further with trying to make a diagnosis without knowing more about you, I recommend that you get a medical examination. There are other conditions that look like and feel like depression. One of them is having hypo 
hypothyroidism, and that is having too little thyroid hormone in your blood, and that can feel like and look like depression. So please get a full exam, and I am so thrilled to tell you, guess what, surprise, Brian Copeland was just able to join us. I'm going to welcome Brian to the show right now. Hello, Brian Copeland. Oh, hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm so glad you were able to join us. You have a lot of people who are so excited to hear from you. Let me give you a proper intro, Brian, if I might. So (laughs) I have had the absolute pleasure of seeing you perform Not a Genuine Black Man three times. And wow. each time, oh yes, each time I was three, three so, times. Three, three times you get a toaster. I get a toaster. Oh, I love you that. You get a toaster. You saw it three times. Perfect. Perfect. It's better than opening a bank account. So I was <laughs> so moved each time because not only is the show funny because you are crazy talented, but you are so honest about sharing parts of your life that we're going to talk about a bit tonight. Because one of the things that I know you've taken on is educating people about depression. But Brian, beyond doing Not a Genuine Black Man, which is his wonderful book, which became the longest-running one-man show in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, Brian is also a multi-talented comedian, writer, television host, talk radio host, commentator. We've both been commentators for the Dr. Drew show and the Today show and all sorts of things. I love walking in a studio and finding you there, Brian. <laughs> but you have it's always a pleasure. Oh, thank you. You've also got comedy that really does cut to the heart of problems. Now, I learned something about you that I didn't know when I was looking at your bio. I never knew that you were the opening act for Ray Charles, Natalie Cole, Dionne Warwick, Donna Summer, Peebo, Bryson, Steve Allen, Dana Carvey, and Aretha Franklin, just to name a few. That's amazing. I didn't know that about you. Oh, yeah, I did a lot of that kind of work. Uh, I, I, In fact, right before I did Genuine, I, I spent a year touring with Smokey Robinson. Oh, and uh, and I was supposed to go back on tour with Smokey, and then Genuine, you know, Genuine was supposed to be a six-week run. And, you know, as you said, it had become the longest-running one-man show in Bay Area theater history. I think it was supposed to be six weeks, and I'd be back on the boat with Smokey. It was like they kept extending it, and people kept coming, so I, I never yeah. went back out with Smoke. Well, the word so. kept passing that this was something that was a must-see. It really was, because, you know, this was one of those lapping-through-tears experiences for me, and just completely honest. And for me, as a psychologist, and especially a relationship expert, I couldn't help thinking... How much of depression has to do with relationships? So I spent a few minutes just now at the top of the show really framing for depression is, the many different sources it can come from. But jump in, Brian. Tell us, now I know you were friends with Robin Williams, and that was a huge thing that you know, a comedian, an actor like yourself, uh, one with a mega talent, took his life, and start anywhere you want. Tell us more about you. Tell us about Robin. What's what's on your mind tonight, Brian? Okay, well, actually, actually you, you, you talked about genuine, and in the, in genuine, I, I touch on, on depression a little bit. You know, there's a depressive episode that I'm not going to, I'm not going to give away from folks who haven't read the book in the show that, that, that's in that story. Yeah, you have to get and, the book and, or go to the show, people, okay? He's not yeah. giving the away for free. <laughs> it's worth so, it. So what? 
so one of the critics, Robert Herwood of the Chronicle, wrote that he wished I had gone more into depression. So I played with the idea about doing, you know, I've, I've been in depression since I was a child, and sometimes suicidally so. And I played with the idea of doing a, uh, a play about depression, but wasn't sure exactly how to do it or if it was something I wanted to come out with. Then um, a couple of years ago, a, uh, some friends of mine have a nephew, had a nephew who was uh, 15 years old, and he was uh, suffering so much that he laid down in front of a moving train. And at that point, I thought, okay, I, I have to tell my story. In my story, um, one of my depressive episodes, um, I turned into a play called The Waiting Period. And what The Waiting Period is about is back in 2008, I had uh, up to that point would have been the most severe bout of depression that I'd ever had in my entire life. Over, over a course of like six months, my grandmother who raised me died suddenly, had a stroke out of the blue and, and died suddenly. Um, then, uh, my wife decided she didn't want to be a wife and a mother anymore. And she took off on us. Then I had this, this car accident my car got totaled and, it, and, uh, uh, I had some spinal, it's a spinal cord injury. There was a disc in my neck pressing at the spinal column that, that almost left me quadriplegic. So I had that spinal cord surgery and the recovery from the surgery was pretty much laying on the couch by myself within a neck brace for, for three months, popping uh-huh. biking. And watching, and watching DVDs, you know, and so I was just this horrible fit of depression. So I decided I was going to check out. So I bought a gun, and in the state of California, it, it, there is a 10-day waiting period before you can obtain a firearm. And during that 10 days, something happened that, that turned me around. So I turned that experience into this play, The Waiting Period, and just like just like Not a Genuine Black Man, and my four solo shows now, The Scion and at, uh, at the Jewelry Box. But just like all of those plays, I, I, use, I, I use the rhythms of Norman Lear, which is one of my idols. You know, when I was writing Genuine, I watched the first two seasons all in the family uh, to get those rhythms where it's really funny and then something kicks you in the gut and then you're laughing again, then you're kicked in the gut, then you're laughing mm-hmm, again. Mm-hmm. And so the That's challenge exactly with the way how I felt watching the show, too. Watching Genuine. Totally. So, yeah, kicked in so, the gut, so, all right. So the challenge with waiting period was to do a show about depression that wasn't a depressing show. So we did it. You know, it debuted in February of 2012. It got really great reviews. And it ran for about a year and a half. And it was selling out every night, but I had to stop doing it because in order for it to be real uh, for the audience in the scenes where I'm in the depressive bout, I have to go there as an actor. And it started to suck me back in. So I, could, I couldn't do this seven times a week. Wow. Uh, a week. So I, I had wondered to stop. about that, Brian, watching yeah, you. Yeah, so I... So completely authentic. Yeah, as as an actor, I go there. I put myself in that spot, you know, and wow. playing with fire, quite frankly. So, yeah, so, yeah. but fast forward to um to last August. Well, so between the time I quit, I quit doing it in 2013. I got all of these letters and things from people telling me how it had helped them. People who were suicidal came and saw the show because the message of the show is: look, if I can spill my guts to strangers for 75 minutes you can tell somebody that you're having thoughts that are not in your best interest. And so many people have come and seen the show and they told me they were there. They were right there, ready to do something. And then after seeing me talk about it, they went and they got help. Um, there's one guy who was a, a Vietnam, not a Vietnam vet, excuse me, an Iraq war vet uh, who was suffering PTSD and, and was suffering serious depression, saw the show, went and got help. Uh, there, the other people that it helps are people who have family members who are depressed and they don't understand why they can't just snap out of it because the sun's shining. 
and and they end up getting uh, they end up getting uh, an education, quite frankly, and and some better understanding of what their yeah, family member goes through. Illustrate so clearly. You just talked about this veteran seeing the show, and it helped him. You illustrated so clearly in the show the link between trauma and stress and depression. Yep. Because yep. the whole the whole point is depression doesn't come from nowhere. There is a trigger, and we understand the trigger, or we have somebody else say, you know what, I got through it, and which is exactly mm-hmm. what you tell everyone. Mm-hmm. To give people so, to, to stand. So everybody, anybody who's suffering from depression listening to Brian right now, I want you to really hear, you're not bad. There's not something incurably wrong. You probably have a trigger that you need to address. Yeah. Go for it, Brian. Well, my whole thing, too, is is that, um, you know, they're saying that what I'm doing with this show has never been done before because um, it's so raw and it's so honest and it's really funny, but it's also really heavy and really thought-provoking. And, and the two things I'm trying to do are, one, to get rid of the stigma. Depression is, is a disease, just like cancer, just like Lou Gehrig's disease, That's just right. like heart disease. And, and the thing is that when you have any other disease, people don't blame you for having it. That's However, right. something about depression, they don't understand it, and there's such a stigma, and it's the stigma that's killing people. It's the stigma that's keeping people, you know, somebody will kill themselves, like Robin, and you'll go completely, well, where did that come from? I have no idea. And they've been suffering for years. Exactly. And the issue is that they can't talk about it. That's the first thing. The second thing I'm trying to educate people about is depression, especially people who are suffering from depression, it's not a character flaw. You know, that's it. It's not a character flaw. No, it's not. It's chemical and it's neurological. There are changes in your brain, everybody, and they're Mm -hmm. real. And as Brian is saying, it doesn't mean you're bad. Mm -hmm. It means you need care. So so last August, when when Robin, I can't believe it's been a year already, when when Robin passed away, I I was talking to my my publicist, Sandy Friedman, uh, publicist at Rogers and Cowan down in Beverly Hills. And he had been Rock Sandy had been Rock Hudson's publicist back in the 80s. He was Rock Hudson's publicist when Rock Hudson came forward and disclosed that he was suffering from AIDS. And and what Sandy said that was interesting was he said, you know, Robin's death may do for depression what Rock Hudson's death did for AIDS. You know, Rock Hudson was somebody we knew. You know, before that, there was such a stigma about AIDS. We didn't understand it. We demonized people who had it and thought they brought it on themselves and all these things. Then here's a guy who's been cooked, coming into our living rooms on McMillan's Wife and Dynasty and, and the, the movies that he did, you know, our oh, whole yeah. lives, and he's yeah. suffering. The so rock. we got it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, so it's the same thing with Robin, who, who for 40 years has been coming into our homes, and it's like it's somebody we knew. So, so when Sandy said that he might do something, he might do for depression or Rock Hudson did for AIDS, I thought, you know what, let me see if I can help start the conversation. That's and so excellent. I brought the way- and, yeah, and Brian, here's, here's one of the things that's important that I would love to tag into, which is that you're an African-American man, and one of the areas that we see more misunderstanding about depression is actually in the African-American community because yep. the idea of telling somebody your business or yep. admitting that you feel weak. And we actually have an epidemic in the African-American community of which I am also a proud member of people taking their lives because there's a myth yes. that African-Americans don't commit suicide. And I hate 
to say how high those numbers are for both men and women. And a lot of people are beginning to see. There's a professor over at UC Berkeley who wrote a book called Black Suicide in which he's saying when we see homicides in the black community, those are really suicides. Yes, they are. Because these young men do not expect to live past the age of 25 a lot of times. And uh, and so they put themselves in situations where they can, in fact, in fact die. So I brought the waiting period back, uh, back at the, to the March in San Francisco, just one day a week. I could do one day a week without now, it. Now, is it playing now, Brian? Because I want people to check yeah. it out. It's called the waiting yeah. period. And it's called the, the waiting Marsh period. Theater. Yes, at the Marsh Theater. I'm, I'm in Alameda right now. I'm, I'm doing the show in Alameda right now, but, but uh, that show's all sold out for the rest of the run. But I'll be back at the Marsh in San Francisco on September the 20th, and I'll run there through October. And after I brought it back, again, the same thing. I'm hearing from people. I was helping them. So I took it to a couple of colleges, and I was amazed by the number of young people. I get calls afterwards from, from the, the people who, the organizers of, of the performance, telling me that they had students who they had no idea were depressed and suicidal who came to them after she ain't got help. Now, let so me just say, special. it is more common, I'm going to just have to toss out a couple facts so people underline what you're saying. It is more common for teenagers to struggle with depression. So if you have a teen or you know of a teen who looks like they're depressed, trust me, they probably are, and we need mm-hmm. interventions. And at the end of the show, I'll give you a couple of things that you can definitely do to help teenagers or anyone mm-hmm. suffering with depression. Well, I'm working on a very special project, and uh, that is I I want to present the waiting period for one year for free, uh, free to the public at the March in San Francisco every Sunday night. Um, And the main reason being that there are so many young people who can't afford a theater ticket, which is $30 to $100. Uh, Robin Robin Williams would have just been so proud of you for doing that, Brian. uh, Oh, you know, I hope it's that. Was not in vain. Exactly. So, so what I'm trying to do is, is we have we have a, Go, a GoFundMe campaign, uh, the Marsh Theater and myself, and we're trying to raise $150,000, which is the theater costs, uh, in order to run this show for a year. It was special outreach to high school and to colleges, so that students and young people, and it'll be open to anybody who wants to come, but especially students and young people who are struggling or who have family members who are struggling yes. but can't come. I had a guy. I, I got a most, most amazing letter about two weeks ago, email. Uh, some guy got dragged to the show by his girlfriend who has depression issues, and he didn't think it was his kind of thing, but he came, and he recognized his brother in what it is that I was saying. So he goes home, and he talks to family members and finds out that the brother has given away something special to him, uh, giving away his, his prized possessions, and they confronted him, and he would plan to kill himself the next day. Oh, and they got him help. Wow. They got him help, and, and you know, but he said he would not have recognized it had he not seen the waiting period. Um, Very so powerful stuff. Now, wait. Yes. Tell us how we can contribute to the campaign, Brian. Okay, well, it's a GoFundMe campaign. As I said, we're trying to raise $150,000. So GoFundMe.com, everybody. Yeah, go, go to GoFundMe. Okay. Or you can go to my website. You can go to BrianCopeland.com, and there's a link. And all the, all the donations are, are all contributions are 100% tax deductible because the Marsh is a, is a, not, it's a nonprofit registered 501c3. Right now, as of today, we're just under $29,000. Oh, that's so, um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm so touched. It's, it's uh, something like 270 people have contributed so far. Anywhere right, from well, $1 to... we're going to blow this up. Everybody who's listening, mm-hmm. blow this up for Brian on your social media. Let everybody you know that... You know, this is like electing President Obama, 
five bucks, ten bucks, it adds up. Let's get those. Yeah, it sure in. does. Because we will save yeah, we've had, lives with this. I know we will, Brian. Good for you. Yeah, we we've had contributions everywhere from a dollar to like a couple thousand. Lu- Lucy Arnez gave us two thousand dollars. Oh. And Lucy and Lucy wrote the most amazing thing on on the website. That her best friend and business partner killed himself in two thousand five, and. Uh, and, and and the week that she did that she made the donation, her neighbor up the street had committed suicide. And she just oh. said, This has got to stop. It's got to oh. stop and we've got just the more we got to talk about it in order to make it stop. That's right. We do have to talk about it and one of the things I want to talk about is what to do if you think someone you love is depressed. There's actually a book, a little book called What to Do If Someone You Love Is Depressed. You can grab that. I'm sure that's available in bookstores, and I'm encouraging people to walk into bookstores, or you can go to Amazon. But try that walking into bookstores thing. I hate to see bookstores disappear. So So do I. Yeah. So what is the most important thing you would tell someone to do if it turns out someone they love is depressed? Uh, the most important thing that they can do if there's somebody who they love is depressed is, is to tell them, first of all, that, you know, you're dealing with it. And a lot of times, a lot of times they'll be in denial about it. They'll be in denial about the fact that they're, that they're going through depression. I, it's not an aberration. It's not something that, that, right. that doesn't happen all the yeah, time. Changes they're, in they're, mood, changes in weight. Mm-hmm. All these different yeah. changes could be depression. Always, if you can, get to a medical doctor if you're not sure because sometimes, as I said earlier, it's a thyroid or it's some kind of medical because a lot of medical symptoms and depression overlap. But if you think it's depression, don't hesitate to talk to a professional and get your loved ones to somebody's office quickly. And that's exactly what I was going to say is the next thing to do. And and the other thing, like what this gentleman who wrote me the letter about his brother, you know, who recognized his brother's symptoms in the waiting period, is you need to get, in some instances, you're going to need to have an intervention, just like you would for an alcoholic or a drug addict. You get five or six or seven or eight loved ones to say, listen, you know, you're not yourself. You, you, you used to enjoy running. Now you don't run anymore. You've been giving away things that you love. You know, you, you're, you're moping around too much. We think that you are depressed and you need to get some professional help. There's no shame in that. We're behind you. We love you. We support you. But this has to happen because we don't want to lose you. And that's the conversation that you need to have. That's a great conversation. We love you and we don't want to lose you is probably the most important thing you can say to someone who's suffering because most people who are depressed feel worthless and they feel alone. Yes, that's it. That's exactly it. And here's the other thing, and that is, you know, I describe depression in the show as like having a little voice whispering in your ear that's trying to kill you. And wow. and that's really it. You're, yeah. you're, when, you're, when you're in a bout of depression, you're not getting – you're not getting accurate information. That's You've right. got that voice telling you that you're worthless, that nobody's going to miss you if you're gone. Exactly. So and why are you here taking up space? That's right. For teenagers is, you know, I was a very depressed teenager myself, Brian. I thought I was invisible. I was dissociating. And I didn't know what was wrong with me. I had no idea this was depression. So for our parents of teens, friends of teens, educators, teenagers may not recognize that this is no. what's going on. So if you think a teenager, now here's one other thing about teenage depression. Teenagers do something that's very confusing. It's called mood altering. One day they look and sound depressed and desperate, and a friend calls and says, hey, why didn't you go with me to a movie? And all of a sudden, bam, they look like a normal kid. And the adults go, oh, they're not really depressed. 
be careful. Mm-hmm. That's a big mistake. Teenagers mm-hmm. can mood alter and still be very depressed. And to keep in mind as well that there's a difference between the norm. I mean, I raised three teenagers for the most part by myself. And and there is a difference between uh, your normal teenage moodiness and and depression. They're all moody because they're going through you know hormonal. You know, we all. Oh my god! I mean, you know, oh it's, it's hormonal changes and all of these things. <laughs> I'm surprised my mother didn't just drop me off the Golden Gate Bridge when I was a teenage girl. <laughs> well, I hear you. You're like I know, possessed. man. It's like get this thing out of my body. I'm possessed. So Brian, we only have a couple minutes left. You are going to start. At the Marsh Theater in October. Did I hear that right? No, September 20th. I'll say September, tickets are on oh, sale now. Let me get those dates right. September 20th, yeah. everybody. Can you get your and tickets it'll, now? And yeah, get your tickets now because it'll probably sell out just like the, the shows in Alameda have all sold out. And uh, so get your tickets to that now. And then if we're able to raise all of the money, we'll be doing it for free at the Marsh from January to December. If we don't raise it all, but I'm optimistic we do, we will. But if we don't, I we'll do as many shows as we, get, as we get funding for. So, again, if you can help us, you know, go to BrianCopeland.com. There's a link. You can go to GoFundMe.com and just search The Marsh or The Marsh Brian Copeland, and it'll come up to our page. Beautiful. Take a look at the video. And you know, everybody, the video Brian's name is right there on this label on our podcast so you can check it out. Brian, when are you bringing back Genuine? Uh, actually, I, I, I can't say exactly where, but I'm in some, I have a, a very important meeting tomorrow about bringing Genuine well, back Well, we bless your important meeting tomorrow. <laughs> Let me see that so point just splendidly so that everyone will get to see it. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us and shine a light on a very dark corner which is depression, because most of us don't want to look in that corner, and we have got to go there and understand depression is caused by something and a good piece of the healing. And I always say if you can see it, you can heal it. If you can feel it, you can heal it. So Uh let's go there, and let's not be afraid to get our arms around loved ones. Don't think you're invading somebody's privacy if you think they're in trouble. Invade. Uh-huh. And Brian, I'm waiting for my toaster. <laughs> it's in the mail. It's on its way. All right. Thank you so much. And I'll see you at the Marsh, and I may sneak in the back door at the Alameda show, too. So don't be surprised. Oh, wonderful. All I right, my dear. My pleasure. Thank Many you. blessings. And everyone, remember if you are in love, depression is not good for your love life. So keep your eyes open and support your beloved. All right, so great to be with you again for another installment of Modern Love Radio. And coming up next week, we have Dondi Dahlin, who is our guest, who wrote The Five Elements of Love. So you'll find out more about love. And remember, every single month I have a free live teleseminar. It's free, and we talk about various issues dealing with modern love, and we have a free one-day live seminar, check out our website, drbrendawade.com. Blessings, everyone. Good night, and thank you. Before I say good night, to our wonderful producer, LeGrand Green, and our associate producer, Cliff Dunning. Now, I'll say blessings. (laughs) 